in looking at Luke 18, 18 to 27, about the rich man who would not follow Jesus because of how much money he had, the one thing I want us to look at is, what do you do if somebody brings you an argument about the meaning of text from something they know about the first century outside the New Testament that you don't know about, and it looks like their argument contradicts what the text plainly means, and yet you can't argue with them because you don't have access to the material they claim exists? What what do you do about that? And I want to show you from this text what you do. So, Father, as we try to understand this text and how not to let it be abused or distorted, guide our minds. We want to be kept close to your word, faithful to your intention in it. So show us how now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read the whole text, and I'll show you the kind of objection I'm referring to. A ruler asked him, Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I don't think that's Jesus saying that he's not good. I think it's saying you should reserve your accolades like that for God. Beware of trying to elevate a man, which you view me as, higher than you should. So the issue here is not the identity of Jesus. The issue is this man's misconception of how to deal with people and teachers. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Hmm. When Jesus heard this, he said, one thing you still lack. He's going to test him now to see where his heart is. One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. In other words, find me more precious, more valuable than all that you have. But when he heard this, when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, Oh, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier... For a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Pretty daring statement. We'll come back to it. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? Implying that in their mind, if the rich can't be saved then nobody can be saved. Evidently, they thought that riches were a sign of 
God's blessing. And so if the rich person couldn't get into the kingdom or had great difficulty getting into the kingdom, then who can be saved? And being saved and, and entering the kingdom are the same here. But, Jesus said, he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Now, what would you do if somebody came along? This actually has happened many times. You can find it in commentaries. And said, oh, um, it sounds like a camel could, could never get through the eye of a needle. But really, this is, a, this is a reference to a gate in the wall of Jerusalem that was called the needle's eye. It was quite low, but if a camel got down on his knees, he could just get through. Meaning, if you would humble yourself, instead of being an arrogant stand-up camel, then you could get through the eye of a needle. Now, what would you do if you said, if somebody said to you, that's the meaning of this? And you say, well, I've never heard that there's a gate in the wall of Jerusalem called the needle's eye, and that Jesus is referring to that. And you don't think that sounds right. Well, in fact, there is no such gate. <laughs> now you're in a fix, because John Piper is telling you there is no such gate. And this other person is telling you, yes, there is, and that's the point of this text. Now what are you going to do? This happens all the time. People bringing stuff from outside the New Testament and telling you a text means this because of that external evidence, and you don't have that external evidence to test. And my answer is context. Can't even write it. Context, context, context. Because if you just keep reading, it says, those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus doesn't wimp out at all in what this eye of a needle implies about a camel. Camels can't get through the eye of a needle. You know that. And so he says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. It is impossible. And there's your context. And you can tell people, I don't care whether there's a, a gate in the wall at all. The point of this text is impossible. Not get down on your knees, make it possible, but impossible. And the reason anybody can get saved is because God can do the impossible. What man cannot do, God can do. That's how anybody gets saved. Praise God. And then if somebody says, whoa, I, I, I don't think that's taught anywhere in the Bible, and you take them to Romans 8, 7 to 9, the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is impossible. Cannot. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of God. So he's dividing two kinds of people, those who have the Spirit of God and those who don't have the Spirit of God and thus have the mind of the flesh, 
the one who has the Spirit of God and belongs to him, therefore is able to please God, is able to submit to God's law because the Holy Spirit moves in and enables him to do so, just like Jesus said, what is impossible with man, impossible with man, is possible with God. Or you take them to 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person, that is the person who's not born again, who just is what he is by the first birth, natural person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able, impossible, to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, which means the Holy Spirit does what God cannot do. So, the context, both distant over in Romans and 1 Corinthians, but mainly right here in verse 27, what is impossible, that is, a camel, it is easier for a camel. A camel cannot get through the eye of a needle. And that's why Jesus says it is impossible. In what sense is it impossible? If somebody says, oh, well, then, then God is, is uh, holding back a person who wants to be saved. And that's wicked or unjust. And you say, no, 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 no. <laughs> this rich man does not want to be saved. He does not, that is, he does not want Jesus more than he wants his money. One thing you still lack, Jesus says, sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure, and come follow me. And when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich and it proved to be difficult, indeed impossible for that man. And wherein do the impossibility lie? You can't love Jesus most if you love money more. You can't. Real, live, impossible can't. And the can't is not that God is, is holding a man back from wonderful commitment to Jesus, but that this man doesn't love Jesus. He is in bondage to his money, and it is a real guilt and a real can't. And that's where all of us are, and praise God, the reason any of us is saved is because that kind of bondage God can overcome.